We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode of Inside Golf Podcast is presented to you by RickRunGood.com. All of the stats, tools, and info that I will be referencing on the podcast can be found over at RickRunGood.com. All my written work can be found over there. My podcast guest last week, Michael Cavalunas, is now our ownership guy. Incredibly excited for that. If you don't know who Cav is, go listen to last week's podcast. There's some evergreen stuff in there about ownership and what he's going to be doing for Rick Run Good. But ultimately, we are building something really cool over there. One thing I can say about Rick is that he is working tirelessly on this website. He is completely devoted to making it the best source for fantasy betting and golf data around. Uh, and I'm incredibly proud of what it's turned into and where it's headed. So head on over to rickrungood.com, promo code Andy. You can type that in in the access code when you sign up, and we'd love to have you as part of the team. All right. Welcome in. Final stretch. I will be honest. I do not have some long monologue at the top about the state of professional golf and the politicization of golf. Uh, I'm sure I will have more to say on live at some point. Uh, I thought about doing a whole thing on the lawsuit. I even thought about getting one of my lawyer friends on and doing a whole separate episode on that. And I was just like, you know what? I got a lot of weeks to fill over the next four months. Um, I'm going to do my best to put something out every week for the rest of the year. Well, it's in my contract, so I don't really have much of a choice, but I... I couldn't bring myself to do a whole podcast on uh, this legal battle right now, even though I do find it fascinating. I could foresee a lot happening in the next couple of months, and I think it's possible, not I think, it's very likely um, that we look back at this extremely minor uh, court case won by the PGA Tour and realize how irrelevant it was in the grand scheme of things. And I say that as somebody that would like the PGA Tour to beat Lev in court, but when I talked to some people that were a little more educated on the legal side of things, I kind of got the sense that this was a very small battle one and really not worth spending a ton of time over as it is, like I said, the first of many. But as the season kind of winds down, I'm going to try my best to keep the podcast filled with 
really cool stuff. I enjoy the fall swing. I tend to do really well from a betting standpoint and DraftKings standpoint during the fall swing. Uh, except for one week where I'm at Band and Dunes, I will make a concerted effort. I'll make an effort to do both a Sunday and a Tuesday show. Uh, and I'm going to try and bring on some new voices onto no matter what, everyone's numbers take a nosedive during the fall swing. There's just a lot of people that are going to stop paying attention to golf once football starts. It's just how it goes. Uh, but like I said, I've got commitments to fill. And I think there's a ton of money to be made in the fall swing. Um, and I'm going to have a lot of episodes in October and November and December where I'm going to do some other stuff too. Like next week, well, first of all, my cousin's getting married and I'm in the wedding. So there's no real way for me to sneak off and dive into Eastlake. So instead of doing an Eastlake preview and have a guest on for Eastlake, a tournament that I don't think has a ton of interest for betting in DraftKings. I don't like it for DraftKings. I know some people do, and you could probably make the argument that it just turns into game theory, which I generally like that idea, but it just in reality, I never actually enjoy playing DraftKings that week. Uh, So instead, I'm going to release an episode on something else. Uh, I've definitely teased on this show before that I spoke to a person who provides data for PGA Tour pros. Uh, so that will come out next week instead of Eastlake stuff. And I'll still have all my Rick written stuff for if you're inclined to play DraftKings or bet that week. But that's a better podcast than I would have been able to do breaking down Eastlake, at least in my opinion. So hopefully there will be more stuff like that in the upcoming months. I love the NFL. I handicap the NFL. I work hard at the NFL. I spend a lot of time on the NFL. The past few years, I've made more money in the NFL than I have in golf. Um, I think that's probably too small of a sample size to say I'm better at the NFL than I am at golf. I definitely know a lot more about golf, but maybe we'll do some NFL stuff. If you guys have any ideas for people you want me to have on or things you want me to talk about, stuff you want me to deep dive, uh, there's obviously a lot of architecturally focused stuff I would love to do, which is still kind of, you know, hopefully I haven't lost track of what is, you know, the ethos and lifeblood of why I started this podcast. But, you know, if I did a deep dive on CB McDonald and Seth Rayner, would that garner as much interest as if I talked about the NFL with smart NFL people? I don't know. Maybe. Who can say? Um, I don't know, honestly. And I will say the episodes that I spend a lot of time shooting the shit, whether it's with Kirshner or Boston Capper, or I spend time talking about Euphoria randomly or the John Mayer podcast, um, they tend to do a lot better than I would have expected, uh, actually. So we'll see. You can send ideas for this fall and winter. Uh, can't say I'm going to follow them, but... I'm open to listening. Uh, all right, let's dive right into the BMW. I've got some some takes on this golf course, uh, unfortunately, actually. Actually, let's take a quick break first. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. The BMW is the... uh the BMW Championship, I should say, is the second leg of the FedEx Cup playoffs. Uh, it was introduced in 2007, previously known as the Western Open. The field will be comprised. We do not have it yet as I record this on Saturday evening, but the field will be comprised of the top 70 PGA Tour golfers in the FedEx Cup standings following the conclusion of the FedEx St. Jude Championship. Uh, this is a no-cut event. And the top 30 players at the end of the week will advance to Eastlake. This tournament's been held at a ton of different courses, often in the Chicago area. Courses like Cog Hill, Medina, Conway Farms, Olympia Fields, where it's returning next year. Uh, but it's also moved around to Cherry Hills, Crooked Stick, Aronimic, Bellarive. It was at Caves Valley last year. Uh, and you run through the former winners and... You know, unsurprisingly, it's a lot of studs. The field is basically WGC. A lot of the fat has been trimmed at this point, although judging from the leaderboard in Memphis, I, I don't know how much fat will actually be trimming. So the last couple of years, we've had Cantlay over Bryson in a playoff, Rom over DJ in a playoff, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, Jason Day, Rory McIlroy. I guess the biggest long shots you'll find would be Keegan and Mark Leishman. But even Leishman was 45 to 1. Keegan Keegan at 140 was the real outlier. So probably a week to focus on the top of the board. And I have mixed feelings about whether this course is going to be uh, conducive to that. But this is a uh, course that we've never seen before. Uh, Wilmington Country Club. It's in Wilmington, Delaware. Established in 1901. The club uh, relocated in the 1950s. And... Brought on Robert Trent Jones to design the South Course, which opened in 1959. Keith Foster came in in 2008 and did a renovation. You know, we've never seen this course in PGA Tour competition. It has hosted the U.S. Junior uh, a couple of times. And the club has two courses, a North Course and a South Course. The North Course was designed by Dick Wilson and the South Course being the Robert Trent Jones one. They're going to use the North Course. I mean, they're going to use... A vast majority of holes from the north course, uh, given that that one is a par 71 measuring 7,534 yards. Well, that is the scorecard yardage for this course. It, it, I think in totality, it measures 7,400 and something, and they've switched up the routing a little bit. But the south course is kind of the little sister. That one's only 6,300 yards. Uh, it's definitely possible that they are using a composite version of the two based on the maps that I'm looking at. Um, although the vast majority of the holes will be coming from the South course. So the, the GSC 
the GCSAA sheet has come out on the specs of the the course that they're using. 8,100 square foot greens. I think a lot of people are going to be caught up on that. Uh, very big greens by anyone's standards. 91 bunkers. Water comes into play on four holes. Bent grass greens, bent grass fairways, bluegrass rough. Uh, and as I record this on Saturday afternoon, the setup that they have right now honestly looks mm, kind of tough to me. Uh, and generally, we do see an overcorrection, right? Where last year, Cave Valley was kind of a joke and can't lay one at 27 under. A lot of that was weather related. I mean, if you look at Caves Valley on paper compared to this course on paper. This is a par 71, so I think inherently it's just going to be a little bit tougher to par. Uh, but both of these courses were in the same ballpark of uh, yardage, and uh, Caves Valley was a wedge fest, right? And that was because the course got a ton of rain, uh, and it turned into target golf and, and a bit of a putting contest, right? So Monitor the weather this week. I have not seen as much rain in the Delaware area as what we got at Caves Valley last year. Uh, but unless it rains all week like Caves and, you know, there's really nothing they can do, I would assume that we get a more challenging test. I'm hesitant to say that because I always underestimate how good these guys are. But you run through the holes and you know, the four par threes, three of them play over 200 yards. The par fours, the par fours really aren't actually that bad, which is why I'm preventing myself from really thinking this course is going to be hard. Um, there's only three par fours that measure above 450. And keep in mind for most players, if you're hitting driver on a hole, if it's a hole under 450 yards, unless there's some crazy elevation change or uh, something strategically with the way they map out bunkers. That's driver wedge for pretty much most PGA Tour pros at, at this point. But they've got these three long par fours, 495, 490, 496. Uh, and then you just have a lot of short to medium par fours in there as well. Eight par fours measure between 390 and 450. Uh, and a lot of the yardage on this course comes from the par fives. The par fives measure 632, 582, 649. So mapping out this course and comparing it to other courses with similarly length holes, I would wager that similar to what we saw last week at TPC Southwind, it's going to still be a lot of short to middle irons. It seems like at least two of the par fives are not even reachable. So those become wedge holes. And then you add all these short to middle middling length par fours and I'd presume that the majority of iron shots here are probably going to be coming from that 125 to 175 range. Again, I, I harp on this a lot. I'll go back to the Southern Hills example. And this is something that I talked about on next week's podcast with Joseph Lamagna, but people are going to look at a lot of the scorecards for these PGA Tour courses and say, oh, you know, par 71, 7,534 yards. It's a long course without even going, really going through the actual holes and looking at elevation changes and where the bunkers are and seeing what these players are actually going to do off the tee. That's part of my issue where I don't understand why anyone looks at specific hole yardages. Um, again, whole other podcast for that. But, you know, like I said, this was the same length as Caves Valley last year. 
And there was such a high plurality of wedges on that course. And and like I said, if you actually map out hole by hole of what we're looking at this week and you go, okay, what are they going to do here? Are they going to hit driver? Is this whole uphill? Is this whole downhill? You know, if you actually go through it on this course, I think you're going to have a lot of short iron approaches, and I think you're going to see a lot of drivers, which I'll talk about a little bit more later. Uh, but yeah, you know, you add them up, and it's like eight par fours between 390 and 450. One par three is 170. At least two of the par fives are not re- although one is pretty downhill. Uh, but at least one of the par fives are not reachable, and you know, suddenly it's like, oh wow, these guys might have a short iron in their hands. 66% of the time. And looking at the course map, you know, they've definitely changed some of the routing. Like the second hole is a par three where on the north course, it's actually a par four on the scorecard. And, you know, you look at some of the routing and it's definitely a bit awkward. I don't think it's being played the way the course uh, is laid out for the members. But, you know, I did my best to try and get a sense of the course and in my opinion it is a your very typical tree-lined parklands northeast bankgrass golf course uh it's on a really nice piece of land with a lot of elevation changes there are a lot of downhill tee shots and uphill approach shots to raise greens because it's a robert trent jones course there's a ton of bunkers a ton of fairway bunkers and the greens from what i see are huge right and feature a lot of undulation to them so did a little digging online tried to talk to a few people that have played the course and read about what people have said who have played the course and i found this review uh on a golf course raider website that i actually spend far too much time on than i would like to admit but i quote The best thing I could say about the Robert Trent Jones layout is that the South course is simply dull. The architecture style Jones used is more of the same he carried out at so many other courses during his long career. Immense greens with big bunkers dotting the landscape. The issue is simple. That style of architecture is quite simply a thing of the past. The South succeeds in creating an impenetrable, mindless fog bank What a line. Uh, Back to the quote. The holes blend together to the point where it's simply Jones following his predictable formulaic style. And that's about as well as I could have possibly summed up this course. I've never played this course before, but I despise Robert Trent Jones as an architect. Uh, So I would imagine that that's really well said. Uh, he has this very homogenous, contrived, visually aesthetic, yet completely strategically hollow way of designing golf courses where it's basically just asking you the same question over and over again. I like my courses to ask me different questions. And Robert Trent Jones is just like, well, here you go. If you If you can hit it here, you're fine. That's the whole strategy of the hole. Like hit it here. Uh, there aren't really too many other ways to play his courses. Uh, so that had me looking at some of the other Robert Trent Jones courses that we've seen on tour. And we've seen a fair amount of them, right? A lot of them for major championships too. Baltus Roll, Belle Reve, 
course is a disgrace. Congressional. Uh, you'll notice it's not a coincidence that a lot of these courses are getting a major renovation because most of Robert Trent Jones's work was a bla- uh, flaming bag of shit. So you look at a course like Baltus Roll and Congressional, those courses both recently got these giant makeovers to try and eliminate the Robert Trent Jonesiness of it all. Uh, and then you get Firestone and Hazeltine, which are bad golf courses. You know, Robert Trent Jones Golf Club, host of the 2015 Quicket Loans, won by Troy Merritt. You know, that had a bunch of President's Cups, I believe, too. Spyglass Hill, which is a course I really don't like, uh, which is in the rotation for the Pebble Beach Pro-Am. And, you know, then he did a bunch of work on Oak Hill in the 1960s, which, what do you know? Andrew Green came in and fucking put an end to Jones's bullshit. So fear not, next year's PGA Championship should have uh, eliminated a lot of uh, RTJ's homogeny. Um, it sounds like I'm being really tough on him. I'm just being honest. I, I don't, I, I don't like to shit on golf courses or golf designers just for the sake of shitting on them. But I think it's important to put in perspective what I think is good work and work that I really admire and what work I think is a little bit lazy. And trust me, you'll hear all about amazing, amazing golf courses and hear me gush over amazing, amazing golf courses when I recap my Ireland trip and when I talk about Band and Dunes, right? So these ones, you know, it's just, oh, I forgot the Barbasol from 2015 to 2017 was played at Grand National, which is another RTJ course. Uh, he also designed Southern Highlands out in Las Vegas, which is Xander's practice course in Las Vegas, although I've heard that he spends more time now out at the Summit Club with Morikawa, which makes sense, right? That's a Discovery Land Property, better golf course. Valderrama, host of the 1997 Ryder Cup. Andalusia Masters on the European Tour, most recently won by Matt Fitzpatrick, also won by Bezadenhout. Uh, all that's at Valderrama. That's a Robert Trent Jones course. My home course in Los Angeles is a Robert Trent Jones course. The Duke University golf course, Robert Trent Jones course. So I have a lot of experience with Mr. Jones, shout out my favorite band, and I don't like him. I think he's the worst. His son Reese is actually worse in my opinion, but the whole family is just completely incapable of challenging themselves from a strategic design standpoint and responsible for a lot of terrible changes to courses and what I believe to be a very dark age of golf course design, which is finally you know, fortunately being undone right now by the Gil Hanses of the world. Uh, but the main courses that I think that was a drive by just like listening back to that. I, I really hope that no one in the Robert Trent Jones hive is, is listening to this. I'm always going to call it like I see it and not apologize. And I think people like this podcast cause I'm not afraid to share my opinions, but I apologize if anyone in Robert Trent Jones's family or close personal friends is listening to this. Uh, I'm not a fan of his work, but I think that he has done some stuff that I think is worth admiring. But anyway, uh, the main courses that I think you want to look at for reference here in consideration to Wilmington Country Club, Robert Trent Jones Golf Club, where they have the 2015 Quicken Loans, Firestone, 
which used to host the Bridgestone. Uh, 2018 PGA Championship was at Bellarive, won by Brooks. I think you can look there. Baltus Roll in 2016, won by Jimmy Walker. Hazeltine, I think you could look at that. 2009 PGA, 2016 Ryder Cup. Uh, and then Congressional, which has hosted the 2011 U.S. Open, won by Rory McIlroy, 2012 and 2013 AT&T, uh, and 2014 and 2016 Quicken Loans. Uh, and then Grand National, which hosted the 2015 to 2017 Barbasol. Uh, because I do think it's in play that this course plays easier than expected. So there's a... We do have some data on these courses, and I tried to see, you know, I have this in my head from all the Robert Trent Jones courses that I've played, you know, is does the data back up my belief that he is a, he designs golf courses in exactly the same way? And turns out it does, right? Big win for the podcast. Started this podcast to use architecture to our advantage in betting and DraftKings, and I think you can with Robert Trent Jones courses. At least I was able to find this correlation here. So I already mentioned all the courses I think you want to want to be looking at. Robert Trent Jones Golf Club, Firestone, Bellarive, Congressional, Baltusrol, right? All those ones. I don't think this golf course is going to play as hard as the courses that played that those major championships like Bellarive and Baltusrol. It's not going to be set up like a major championship, but you look at Robert Trent Jones Golf Club, which hosted the 2015 Quicket Loans, right? That golf course is in a similar part of the country. It's very similar in length. It's got a ton of medium length par fours, ton of approach shots between 125 and 200, big greens, bent grass, and Troy Merritt won that tournament at 18 under par, which seems, you know, a bit closer to me than to what we're going to get this week than what we've gotten at say Firestone, right? So the players that were good in 2015 at Robert Trent Jones Golf Club, that might be in the field this week. Troy Merritt won. He'll be in the field this week. He's playing great at uh, in Memphis. Justin Thomas came in fourth. Justin Rose also came in fourth. Uh, he also won Congressional, by the way, in 2014. Rose was a disaster. Th- that guy might be done. I don't think he'll be in the field. Uh, but I'll still mention him because I wanted to pay attention to the players that kept popping up. Hadwin, 21st. Tringali, 21st. Steele, 30th. That guy's a nightmare, too. But you look at how these players got it done. It is a very standard ball-striking course with a lot more of an emphasis on iron play than off the tee. So Robert Trent Jones golf courses, I've noticed, tend to be really straightforward off the tee. You just have to stay out of the fairway bunkers pretty much. So, for example, Robert Trent Jones Golf Club in 2015, 33rd out of 38 courses in off-the-tee difficulty, 28th out of 38 courses in missed fairway penalty. Congressional, 28th out of 38 courses in off-the-tee difficulty, 28th out of 37 courses in missed fairway penalty. Grand National, 35th out of 37 courses in off-the-tee difficulty. 16th out of 37 courses in missed fairway penalty. Even Firestone, which always played as one of the harder courses on the PGA Tour, 28th out of 37 courses in off the tee difficulty, 13th out of 37 courses in missed fairway penalty. So notice a theme here. I think there are 
probably going to be people that are going to look at this course and say, oh, the fairways look pretty narrow. This is a strategic course where you need to hit the fairway. I would not agree with that. Uh, you know what other courses have super narrow fairways? Torrey Pines and Firestone. And Firestone actually always had the most narrow fairways on tour. And players hit driver everywhere. And the reason for that is, like we've seen before at places like Detroit Golf Club and Winged Foot, shout out Winged Foot Comp. If you know, you know. Shout out Taylor Pendrith. It's a lot easier to control spin out of bluegrass rough than it is out of Bermuda rough, which is you know a, a little bit what I talked about last week. So when players get to Firestone, they're like, oh, well, these fairways are so narrow. I'm not even going to try and hit them. And I know that if I miss, I can easily hack a wedge out of here and still be able to control the spin. That's another thing I talked about with Joseph Lamagna. Courses like Torrey Pines and Firestone, being 20 yards off the fairway is the same thing as being one yard off the fairway. And I think Wilmington is very similar. There certainly are trees, but I think players are going to have some room to, a lot of room actually, to operate here. And just like all other RTGA courses where, you know, he thinks, oh, I'm going to pinch my fairways. Well, RTGA, dude, you're actually eliminating the strategy of the hole by pinching the fairway, which in a nutshell explains why Torrey Pines is such a bad golf course. But, you know, I could do a whole thing on the RTJ Reese Jones style of golf course, you know, the whole open doctor thing, right? This idea of pinched fairways and heavy bunkering that they did to all of these courses in the 80s, which actually in turn made the golf courses worse and eliminated a lot of the strategy and why that school of thought with design is actually incredibly problematic. And now you see Gil Hans coming in and undoing all of that nonsense. But, you know, that'll be my TED Talk someday. My whole point is that I think we're going to see a lot of players hit driver on this course. And I do not believe that you will need to be particular accurate with that club in hand either. So I, I look and I'm looking back at what happened at Robert Trent Jones golf club in 2015, Troy Merritt lost strokes off the tee, but gained 10.1 on approach 21, which makes sense, right? Because if you eliminate a lot of the strategy off the tee, the emphasis falls completely on the second shot. And when I was going through all of the RTJ courses, both the ones that I've spent a lot of time playing and the ones that I've watched on TV and spent some time mining through the data that we have on them, you know, Firestone, Robert Trent Jones, Golf Club, Congressional. The big commonalities is that there are a ton of bunkers. He tends to really overbunker his courses. Him and Norman just always overbunker their courses. Ton of fairway bunkers, ton of greenside bunkers. Large undulating greens, fast greens, especially this course. His uh, courses usually tend to be pretty tough lag putting courses. So right off the bat, what I'm thinking about here, on mid-scoring Robert Trent Jones courses, the formula when they've played the Quicken Loans at, at RTJ Golf Club and Congressional and the AT&T National Congressional, the name of the game has been middle iron play and really good lag putting and bunker play. That's the angle that I'm taking. Congressional, by the way, very, very similar to Robert Trent Jones Golf Club in terms of the statistical breakdown. 
31st out of 37 in approach difficulty, 28th out of 37 in off the tee difficulty, but ninth in putting difficulty, right? Very straightforward questions from tee to green, but once you get on the green, pretty undulating. Billy Hurley wins at 17 under par, and then you've got Vijay Singh, John Rahm, Ernie Els, Justin Thomas again, you know, great middle iron players. JT is the king of RTJ, in my opinion. Uh, he's He's been the best overall on all of these courses. And 39% of strokes gained at Congressional are coming on approach, which is way above tour average, just 11.8 off the tee. And Robert Trent Jones Golf Club, 2015, similar story, right? 40.8% of strokes gained on approach, which is well above tour average. Even Grand National, which is a little bit more of a putting contest, it's way more of a second shot golf course than it is a first shot golf course, which I think would, that breakdown would surprise people a little bit when you look at, you know, the thicker rough and the fairway bunkers, but that's not actually how it ends up, how his courses end up playing. Um, so when you eliminate a lot of the strategy off the tee, you know, the biggest defenses of his courses outside of the sheer length, they're usually pretty long, is you've got these really deep bunkers and these really undulating greens. Um, from tee to green, it's a very, very straightforward question, right? Can you execute this shot on repeat? And that's why you s- tend to see these guys like Brooks and JT and even Keegan is a good example of this. Justin Rose, Rory, Hideki. You know, it, Troy Merritt and Billy Hurley literally had the best iron weeks of their lives uh, to win those tournaments. So, you know, that's kind of what it takes to answer the bell on his golf courses here. I'm, I'm really focused in on middle iron play. And are you a good lag putter? Are you a good bunker player, right? Um, those kind of three things are what I'm more concerned about here. Um, I do not think that you need to be a particularly accurate driver of the ball here, which may be a hot take. I don't know what other people are going to say. But at Congressional, for example, in 2016, seven of the top 12 lost in good drive percentage. Four of the top 12 lost in driving accuracy percentage. Five of the top 15 lost in driving accuracy percentage at Robert Trent Jones Golf Club. Robert Trent Jones Golf Club, five of the top 10 also lost in driving distance. Four of the top 10 at Congressional also lost in driving distance. So it's not, it's not even really about being long either. Although I do think distance does like at a macro level tend to help at his golf courses. It's not, but it's, it's even less so about being straight. I I definitely much rather have you be long than I would have you be straight here. Uh, I will say, you know, actually mapping out these holes, it does seem like on this specific course, maybe even a little more so than congressional or Robert Trent Jones golf club. It seems like you can, cut the corners and carry the fairway bunkers a lot on this course. And it seems like there are some speed speed slots in the fairways too, because a lot of them are sloping downhill. So I'm going to look a little bit at distance, but like I said, I think the formula here this week for me is pretty simple. You know, Billy Hurley was neutral off the tee, gained 10 on approach. Same thing the prior year with Troy Merritt, slight loser off the tee, 10 on approach, 
right? You go back and look at how the Grand National guys have won it, right? You go back and look at the penalties for missing the fairway on these courses, right? And the types of players that are succeeding at all of these courses, right? And that is how you win on these mid-scoring Robert Trent Jones golf courses, right? Um, So I looked at a lot of the history on these types of courses, what worked well, mapped out the approach proximities of what types of iron shots that they are most likely going to have coming in. And you can find the full motto breakdown in the Rick Rungut article that will be up Monday. This one was a little bit more complicated, but here's who it shot out for me. I'm pretty sure that every single person that I'm going to mention in the top 20 is automatically in next week, by the way. The only iffy one, well, we'll get to him when we get to him. Justin Thomas has been number one in my models for, he's been pretty consistent up there for almost the full season, right? As soon as Rom kind of started his downward turn a little bit, you know, kind of towards the beginning of the season, JT's been pretty consistently off the top. And, you know, I haven't bet him a ton this year. I bet him at the PGA, but... Uh, he rates out as the best player on this type of golf course for me. Tony Finau, number two, no surprise there. I think this is a damn near perfect course for Tony Finau. There's honestly no reason to believe that he won't play. I think this this golf, put it this way, I didn't love the Memphis course for him. And I think this golf course is a way better course fit for him than the Memphis one. Same with Rory McIlroy, by the way. I think this golf course for Rory is a way better golf course than Memphis which is going to be interesting because he missed a cut. Honestly, I think you could say the same thing about Xander, who's number four. I like this golf course better for Xander too. A lot of it just helps that I like these guys back on bankgrass more. Um, Cameron Smith was five. Um, I think this could be a sneakier Cameron Smith course in the sense that I don't think that his um, lack of accuracy Uh, and lack of elite driving is going to hurt him at this course. And then you have Scotty Scheffler, six. Cameron Davis, seven, who is the one guy where if Cameron Davis catapults down the leaderboard tomorrow in the wrong direction, he may not get in. But if he gets in, I really like Cameron Davis on this golf course. I mean, really like Cameron Davis on this golf course. Eight, Sam Burns. Nine, Jordan Spieth which is interesting to me because that guy's a mess right now. I mean, I track, I don't think it's, it's tough because if you look at his stats from this week, I test wise, it was bad, but I've fallen into that trap before. Um, you look at his stats from this week, they're nearly identical to his stats from the masters. And what did Jordan Spieth do the week after the masters? He won the heritage. And I went on my podcast with my friend, Chris Powers, the week of the heritage. And I said, I watched Jordan Spieth. He's completely broken. And what did he do? He won the heritage the next week. And he was doing the weirdest rehearsal, like even longer, weirder rehearsals this week. I was following him closely because I, you know, unfortunately played a lot of him in DraftKings. Um, so I'm not going to stick a fork in him, uh, but that's an, that's an interesting one to monitor. Shane Lowry, number 10. I was a little disappointed in him this week. 11, Hideki, 12, Patrick Cantlay. I think Cantlay will be quite popular, right? Bent Grass. Max Homa. 
Bankras should be popular. Neiman, Bankras, right? All these guys, you can kind of, you know, these tree-lined Parklands courses seem a little bit right right more up their alley. 15, Harold Varner, who I like this week. 16, Russell Henley. <laughs> uh, that's a fun one. Uh, I'm sure you will get a break on Henley this week. I will say that. I liked last week's course actually better for Henley than I liked this week's course, but you will get a you will get a break on him if you're willing to go back there. 17, Victor Hovland. Again, I want to look at some of his numbers and stuff. I've tracked him a little bit. Chugging along, okay. Um, I, I think you can go back to him here, maybe. 18, Will Zalatoris. 19, Scott Stallings, which let a lot of people down as chalk. I think he is, yep, he should be in the field next week too. So that might be an interesting bounce back spot for him or his best golf is behind him. And then 20, Mito Pereira, who, you know, I was very high on last week and is chugging along with a nice little, you know, he's in the 40s somewhere. And, you know, with Mito, like I said, this may be the last this the last chance to bet Mito in a golf tournament before he's 12 to one at live Shanghai. Right. So, uh, that's my top 20. And, you know, I talked about how at a very elementary level, you can do a whole lot worse in my opinion. This is what I'm doing. than just identifying the best middle iron players in the world who are also good lag putters and good bunker players. You'd be surprised that list is actually not that long. Um, but that's the angle that I'm taking here. So I wanted to point out the only players who ranked top 20 in this field in middle iron play, bunker play, and approach putting, the only players that are elite at all three of those skill sets, Hideki Matsuyama and Justin Thomas. I'm going to play Hideki this week. There's no way that he's going to get ownership coming off back-to-back WDs. Uh, I don't think any case that I could make is going to change that, although I probably could make a really good case if I wanted to. This is a guy who remains one of the best middle iron players in the entire world, is a great bunker player, has a great short game, and is actually a really solid lag putter, right? And has had a lot of success on some of these big undulating greens like a like Augusta National. Robert Trent Jones actually he got his hands dirty with Augusta. He's done he's done a little bit of work at Augusta too. So but you look at Hideki, twenty first, twelfth, first at Firestone, fourth at Baltus Roll, right? And he is coming off back to back WDs. <laughs> right. But Let's run through the last two times Hideki's WD'd in the last two years. He actually doesn't do it as much as you'd think. Fourth at the Olympics, 14th at the Masters, right? So I do like the fact that he said, you know what, I'm he's high in the FedEx Cup standings, right? And he's he's probably saying to himself, I'm gonna take one more week to get fully healthy. I get I think I would probably rather have him have just set out the whole week than tried and and WD'd mid-tournament. But I I think he's an interesting play. I I really, really, really like this golf course for him. I think it's a really good course fit. Uh, And then the guy that I, you know, I probably will be on 
that he didn't look great today. Uh, I didn't get to watch or track a ton of his round, but it looks like he was going backwards on the leaderboard, and that was mainly due to putting. But I think JT's going to get another win this season. I really do. And I think this golf course is damn near perfect for him. I mean, he's plenty long off the tee, which, again, I think is a luxury on this course, but I think helps. Uh, And I think you want JT on courses where there's not a huge penalty for missing the fairway, right? Kapalua, for example, and where iron play is more important than off the tee. And I believe that will be the case at Wilmington. He is, you know, right there with Morikawa and Henley and Hideki over a large sample size is the best short to middle iron players in the world. Um, And I think the reason why JT is such a perfect fit here is also because he's got such a great short game. Like, I'm probably going to have a ton of interest in Morikawa again, and he's playing well. I don't think you're going to get the discount that you got on Morikawa this week. I think he'll probably be, unless he has a very bad Sunday, I think he'll probably be back above 9K, and I think he'll probably be back at least in the high 20s. But the difference between Morikawa and JT right now, JT's got an unbelievable short game, and I really unbelievable bunker player, whereas Morikawa, and I've made this joke before, but Hovland has provided so much cover for how bad Morikawa's short game has been this year, just because Hovland's been a little bit worse. Um, But you look at JT, he's been so good out of the bunkers. He's actually, you know, I was shocked at how good of a lag putter he is too. And if I was creating a golf course for JT, I would probably create something along the lines of Wilmington. Uh, you know, he's won plenty of times on bent grass. I put together a model of tree-lined northeast bent grass courses with thicker rough. Uh, he is third in that behind Rory and Finau, actually. Uh, Hideki's in the top 10 as well. Uh, He gains 1.4 per round at Congressional, 2.3 at Robert Trent Jones, finished fourth there, Uh, 7th and 12th at Congressional, 6th at Bellarive in 2018, where he gained 9.6 from T to Green, and he's won at Firestone. So he's got a pretty immaculate resume on Robert Trent Jones courses, and I would imagine, you know, he's got the best case, in my opinion, the way I'm breaking down this golf course, um, out of anyone that I've been able to find. Rory is very interesting too. Uh, you know, he he missed the cut on the number this week and he kind of fell apart at the end and he did not hit the ball very well. But I, I wanted to look back and look at how Rory's done coming off a missed cut because uh, he, he doesn't miss the cut too often. And he has missed the cut He's missed a cut the last five times that Rory has missed a cut. This dates back about nearly two years. He's gone fourth, sixth, 28th, first, second. So he's missed five cuts in about two and a half years. And in the following start, he has one 28th, a fourth, a sixth, a runner-up, and a win. So if there's any form of discount on Rory McIlroy this week um, from an ownership standpoint and in, in, in price point I'll probably be there I like Scheffler too um, 
But I think that's all I got. I mean, a lot of these guys, it's very hard for me to take a firm stance right now because I'm recording this on Saturday evening. It's a new golf course, so I want to get this out by Sunday morning, uh, give people that extra time to get a head start on their research. But, you know, I want to look at the total ball striking stats from FedEx St. Jude's, right? We don't even have the full field, so it's hard to hard for me to talk about any sleepers either, right? Because there could be a lot of movement in the standings. But I want to see how these guys progress over the week. I'm, I'm curious about a couple more guys in this field as well. Uh, so that will do it on, uh, on this episode. Wilmington Golf Club. Wilmington Country Club, actually. I've got a lot of friends going, so uh, hopefully it, it's a good... It seems like the routing is a little bit awkward, but it still seems like a pretty good, a pretty fun viewing course because there's a lot of elevation changes. So, you know, it it might be a little bit of a tougher walk, but, you know, some of the greens have kind of these nice amphitheater sites. So I think it'll be one thing I'll say about Robert Trent Jones golf courses too. Like they general, I mean, (laughs) they're, they're like pretty good on TV, right? They're in, they're, they're generally in really, really good shape. Right. Um, you know, you get it's They're very green. Um, and, and it'll be a lot, you'll see, it, it'll be kind of a lot aesthetically, like what we've seen a little bit at St. George's in Canada, which I thought was a much better golf course, but aesthetically it'll be similar. Muirfield village, right? TPC Potomac, right? You get that very green, bent grass, tree-lined, right, parkland type of golf course. So uh, that will do it for me. I will be back on Monday night, probably release that episode on Tuesday. Going to talk to Jeff Feinberg about some BMW and a lot of football. And you can find me on the Tuesday betting show with Rec. That'll be out Tuesday afternoon. Uh, My golf.com article. My in more, uh, way more, way more on Wilmington Country Club in my Rick article on Monday and my DraftKings article on Wednesday. Um, Ots checker early outright picks on Monday too. Busy guy this week. Um, all right. So wish everyone the best of luck with their bets and DraftKings lineups this weekend in Memphis. And we'll see you next time. Cheers. <laughs>